This is an Area Code podcast. Welcome to this pre-episode of Wildwood Flower, stories of women who built country music. I'm Jack Peterson, a lifelong music fan and country music outsider, engaged in a personal project to better appreciate and understand country music. I'm choosing to do this through reading and listening to the stories and music of women, a group that is notoriously underrepresented and underappreciated in the genre. We're going to take a chronological look at women in country music. Season 1 looks at 13 women who made music in the 1920s and early 1930s who shaped the sound that we recognize today as country. We'll talk a little bit more about what each episode will contain and my process in a little bit. The podcast is not about me, but I feel the need to explain myself a bit at the beginning here. I call myself a country music outsider because I did not grow up appreciating country music. I'm a product of Baptist church hymns, oldies radio, underground Christian music, alternative rock, R&B, rap, and pop of the 90s, indie music of the 90s and 2000s, and beyond that, anything from any genre at any time that could speak to my soul. Somehow in all of my musical adventures, I failed to make much space for country music. It's a huge gap in my musical education. Of course, being a teenager in the 90s, I know who the stars are. I can tell Garth Brooks and Clint Black apart. I could recognize Randy Travis's singing voice. I could probably recognize Reba McIntyre's talking voice. But I could not name any one of these artists' songs. Well, that's not entirely true. I can name one Garth Brooks song, but I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Despite my shocking lack of country music knowledge, there are strong country music experiences that stand out in my memory, and let's limit this to before the age of 25. Here they are, in order of experience. One of my earliest musical experiences is listening to the Oak Ridge Boys' Elvira on my parents' record player. The song is great, but the real joy of my child self was slowing the record down and hearing a dangerously bassy Richard Sturman. It's family lore that I'm distantly related to Dolly Parton. I haven't done the research on this. I hope it's true. But growing up, my sisters and I have always called her Cousin Dolly. This running joke and a trip to Dollywood stand out more than her music. Whitney Houston's version of I Will Always Love You will be the definitive version in my mind. I probably heard that hundreds of times before I even knew it was a Dolly Parton song.
Number three, riding in the back seat of my grandparents' car through the Northwest Georgia mountains, I heard cowboy songs of the Old West off of tapes they ordered from a TV commercial. This was my first exposure to songs like Tumbling Tumbleweeds, Cool Water, and The Trail of the Lonesome Pine, and artists like Bob Wills and Roy Rogers. I loved these tapes, and I still love these songs. In the pale moonshine, hearts entwine, where she carved her name, and I carved mine, oh, June. I've got the records that we used to share. And they still sound the same as when you were here. The only thing Number four. The same grandparents also let me borrow a van to drive while I was a college student. In the tape deck was a Patsy Cline Greatest Hits compilation. I won't say that Patsy was singing directly to my soul because that would be overly dramatic, but Patsy was singing directly to my soul. She's Got You is the Patsy Cline song I first came to love. I really don't know, but I know it won't let me be. I've got your class ring. Well, there's no stronger wind than the one that blows down a lonesome railroad line. Number five. In college, I was exposed to the music of Towns Van Zandt by some friends. I never looked back. I don't know how these friends got into him. No Depression magazine or some such, I'm guessing. Regardless, I didn't know anything about this man other than his music, and I couldn't get enough. Close your eyes, I'll be here for a while. What have I become? Number six. I remember where I was when I heard Johnny Cash's cover of Nine Inch Nails Hurt. I was stuck in traffic on I-75 between Macon and Atlanta, listening to 88.5 out of Georgia State University. I was blown away. Remember, I was a 90s alternative rock kid. The music from my youth felt respected, revered even. seven. I bought Gillian Welch's Time the Revelator on a whim in 2001, and it has stood at the top of my favorite albums ever since. This is in the wake of the Oh Brother Where Art Thou movie and soundtrack, which was a big deal. It won all kinds of awards and was a kind of return to roots for the genre. I didn't really care too much about all of this. I just liked Gillian Welch, her unadorned vocals, singing about Elvis, Emmylou Harris, and Graham Parsons. Abraham Lincoln, Johnny Cash. I learned a lot of history and probably a lot of myth from that record. The song April the 14th, part one, could be on endless repeat, and I wouldn't complain. 
Gillian singing I Wish I Played in a Rock and Roll Band in a Slow Country Dirge is perfection. My dad and I saw Willie Nelson together in Atlanta. He must have played a three-hour set. It wasn't that it felt like three hours. It's more the marvel that a man of that age, of any age, accepting every shot of whatever drink was being handed to him from the crowd before, after, and during every song could stay standing and singing for that long. But I don't think they even missed us. I guess Buffalo ain't here for me at all. Number nine. Finally, I'll never forget the first time I heard Garth Brooks' Friends in Low Places. It's still the only Garth Brooks song I could recognize. It was not at one of his stadium pyrotechnic concerts. It wasn't line dancing at a country bar. It wasn't on the jukebox of a dusty gas station of a desert town I had just rolled into. It was in a karaoke room in Vietnam, and it was being sung by a soft-spoken friend, and it was glorious. I don't wear my ignorance with pride. There's a lot that I need to learn, and I am learning. This whole thing started as a personal listening and reading project. I started reading Robert Orman and Mary Bufwak's Finding Her Voice, The Saga of Women and Country Music, as a primer. Highly recommended, though it does have its limitations. And I started listening to the artists they profile. I started doing some personal writing as a way to understand and further enjoy what I was learning. The podcast came about as a way to share what I've been experiencing in hopes that others might want to share in a similar experience. I've read other books and book chapters and articles about specific artists, which I'll discuss in future episodes. I've made careful playlists of women making country music. At this point, through reading and listening, I have a fair understanding of what was happening through the 1950s. All of this to say I'm learning, and yes, I'm sorry I don't know more Reba songs yet, but I will. So why haven't I done this before now? I think it's because I've never felt like country music as it presents itself to the world through the Nashville music machine, or at least my impression of the Nashville music machine, is for me. I've never liked gatekeepers. Country music seemed full of gatekeepers. It seemed full of men who wanted some kind of homage paid to them. Not that country music is alone in this, but another reason I think I've avoided country is the apparent sexism. Although the 2021 Grammys, for example, might present a female-dominated field, radio plays and billboard charts tell a different, unfortunately enduring story of male singers and songwriters getting more play and higher sales. Just recently, for example, no women were nominated for Entertainer of the Year at the CMAs. Women of color are still underrepresented in the genre, not because they aren't making country music, they certainly are, but because of the exclusionary genrefying of country that begins at the very start of recorded music in the early 1900s. I wanted to hear the voices that found resistance in this white male-dominated industry. I was curious. 
Perhaps they heard that country music, as it was presented to them through the business side of things, was not for them. Perhaps they pursued it anyway. I wanted to hear the stories of country music women. So how am I doing this? What's my method? I'm doing a lot of reading and a lot of listening. Some sources are scholarly, some are biographies and autobiographies. I'm looking broadly at themes related to country music, as well as specific lives of the women featured. I'm combing through discographies and online databases. I'm creating extensive playlists and listening carefully. Before I mentioned I have a strong understanding of what's happening in country music through the 1950s, I think at this point I also have a deeper understanding of what was happening in the 1920s and early 30s. This is where the podcast starts, in the 1920s, with the beginnings of commercially recorded music. Season 1 is a 13-episode arc that looks at women making music at the time when record companies are trying to figure out how to market and sell the vernacular music of amateur musicians. I follow the understanding of many writers and scholars, and starting with the musical landscape, though certainly segregated by Jim Crow laws and other racist practices, it is not genreified, but one where there is significant sharing and blending of styles. Season 1 features women who were innovating within these genres at the time. Some of them, like Roba Stanley, Moonshine Kate, Elsie McWilliams, and Sarah and Maybelle Carter, are rightly celebrated as country music forebears. Some, like Lottie Kimbrough, Lydia Mendoza, Cleo Mabro, Lil Hardin Armstrong, and Annie Kerr, would not be considered country music by today's definitions, but nevertheless were part of the soundscape that informed the genre as it came to be more defined after World War II. Within the lives of women featured, we'll find creativity, beauty, and innovation, as well as struggle, white supremacy, sexism and gender discrimination, abuse, poverty, and neglect. I intend to tell as full of a story as I can, as truthfully as I can. I will refrain from giving my judgments on their lives or their music. One obvious tension with this podcast is that I am a man telling the stories of women. Yes, there's no denying this, and the potential for my telling of stories to obscure or overpower the stories the women profiled would tell themselves is real. As much as the intentions of my starting this podcast spring from allyship, I know that this tension will always exist. Here are some ways that I hope to mitigate the danger of appropriation and misrepresentation. First of all, in my research and presentation, I'm using the artist's own words as much as possible, taking information from interviews and autobiographies. Necessarily, some of the information comes from secondary sources, like biographies or nonfiction books. In these cases, I carefully present the facts of stories, attempting to disentangle the author's interpretation and my own biases as much as possible. When opinions or analysis beyond historical facts are given, I make it clear that what is being said is someone's interpretation of the facts. I'll list my sources for every episode so the listener can dig deeper if they want to. I will also share the song list so that the listeners can have a starting place for supporting the artist's music. In this way, this podcast is more of a pointing at the moon than a describing of the moon. I'm saying the story exists, the music exists, go check it out for yourself. Eventually, I begin to cover artists who are still living. When we reach this point, I will make every effort to talk to that person. Secondly, this is a project of learning to appreciate. It needs to start from a place of humility and openness. 
I will refrain from inserting my opinion or editorializing. I have blind spots. I will make some mistakes, no matter how careful I am. I will make any necessary corrections as I continue to learn. With all the injustices against women throughout music history, one of the most egregious is the financial gain made by men on the backs of women who received far too little compensation. I do not want to repeat this injustice through this podcast. I do hope that this podcast can be financially sustainable. I do live in the real world, and it takes time and significant labor to research, write, and produce this podcast. I will set up opportunities for listeners to support me as they wish if they feel that this podcast is a force for good in the world. I will also set up a way for listeners to support women making music today by pointing to artists and organizations doing good work to promote the underrepresented, particularly in country music. I have a few organizations already in mind, but I'm open to suggestions. Another way I hope to promote women artists is by featuring them on the podcast. Music licensing is tricky, and I'm still figuring some things out, but I would love for artists to submit cover songs of the musicians featured on the podcast. For example, I'll send out a call for Maybell Carter covers, and listeners can record and submit covers of Maybell Carter songs to air during the Maybell Carter episode. Hopefully in this way, musicians recording and performing today can get some exposure too. Through these efforts, my hope is that this podcast will be a vehicle through which women in music will be supported, and that I can do the work of raising awareness and pointing people to places to direct their support to the artist making the music. To be clear, I'm not trying to tell the whole story of country music. You'll be dissatisfied if that's what you want. Other people do this better than I could or care to. For example, I'll only talk about giants like Johnny Cash as he relates to June Carter or Rose Maddox or Maybelle Carter. I'll talk about Hank Williams, but I'll probably talk more about Audrey Williams. George Jones, only through the life of Tammy Wynette, etc., etc. This is an intentionally skewed telling of country music history, but it doesn't make it any less true or real or meaningful. Since we're starting with country music as a diverse genre, we'll trace the roots even as country becomes defined largely as a white musical expression. My goal is to feature any woman who contributed to the art and artists of country, within reason. This means including artists in this podcast who would not call themselves country. For example, I have every intention on doing one or more episodes on Sister Rosetta Tharp, due to her tremendous influence on rockabilly country artists like Janice Martin and Wanda Jackson. I'm not labeling her something that she is not. She is one of the women who helped build country, despite, to my knowledge, never labeling herself a country artist. I'm also trying my best to tell compelling stories and highlighting what I think are the best and most important songs. These editorial choices will disappoint some people, I imagine. I'm not going to talk about music theory, session musicians, or give exhaustive biographical details. I'll tell the story that fits the podcast and point you to resources so that you can continue reading and listening for yourself, if you're that interested. Finally, I'm telling a mostly chronological story. This means for many artists whose career spans multiple decades, I'll break their story up into episodes accordingly. For example, in this first season, I'll be featuring Maybelle Carter, whose career spans the 20s through the 70s. The first season will talk about her life from birth through the end of the 1930s, and then we'll pick up her story later when we start to look at the 1940s and beyond. I don't really know right now when that will be. 
For artists who are only active for a short time, there will be only one episode that will air, as we're talking about that time period. Patsy Cline might be an exception to this rule, someone with a short recording career but an outsized influence who might get more than one consecutive episode. My goal is to tell a chronological story and to keep each episode under an hour. There are many ways you can support me in this project, but before you support me, think about ways you can support women making music today. As you listen to season one, a place to start might be Kamara Thomas's Country Soul Songbook. They're doing good work. The link is in the show description. To support me, you can like and review, tell your friends, and share this podcast on social media. You can send me books and resources to help me research. I'm doing all of this right now with just a library card. Musicians can lend your talents by covering songs of the artists I feature. I'll include your songs in future episodes. For more, follow me on Instagram at wildwoodflowerpod, or you can email me at wildwoodflowerpod at gmail.com. The first episode on Samantha Bumgarner is airing soon. I hope you enjoy.